Welcome to the first episode of Mind Matters Conversations with me, Anna Cook, psychiatric nurse practitioner. Um, we have decided to make this podcast as an informal stage, so to speak, platform That's great. Um, great. to share knowledge and information with um, people in the community, maybe people that are just either having their own struggles, maybe you are um, trying to be supportive of like a family member or a friend, or maybe you're just curious to, to know more about mental health. Um, so basically, I have a private practice here in Jackson. Um, we provide medication services from psychiatric nurse practitioners. So we specialize in the use of psychotropic meds. We have therapists. We see patients with various mental health issues. Um, and so basically, over the course of the years that I've been treating patients, I often have conversations with people um, that just kind of have a lot of questions and maybe they are you know, struggling to come forward. Maybe they're having embarrassment. Um, there's all sorts of various reasons why I felt that it was important to kind of have this podcast and, and bring this information. But um, I had actually been listening to another person's podcast, and she um, really brought forth a really good point that when you have certain like talents or certain skills, so to speak, that God has kind of blessed you with that, like it is your purpose to like share that with as many people as possible rather than just keeping that to yourself for like your own personal gain. Um, and so that really spoke to me and I was like, you know, I really could like use a platform like this where we could reach so many people. Um, and just honestly having knowledge is having power. Um, and so hopefully the things that we talk about on this podcast will be informative and ultimately our goal is just to, to help people. Um, so we're going to talk about all sorts of things. We're going to talk about trauma and depression, bipolar, ADHD. Um, we'll talk about struggles with um, different genders, male versus female. We'll talk about basically whatever people want to talk about. Yeah, I think one of the, um, the main things that people want to reach out for is sometimes those difficult conversations and topics are not always easy to come by, especially if, you know, a lot of people look at um, talking to a professional as a downside, like an embarrassment, like they don't want to know or feel like there's something wrong with them. So they usually take that information or they want to take those conversations to people who really aren't really in tuned or even honestly eligible to give that advice to them. They usually go to a friend or a family member who really honestly is probably no better off than them. They're just better at hiding it, I'm sure. But um, I think the great thing about this is I really want to break the stigma that there's nothing wrong with thinking that you could have an issue. It's okay to talk about it. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortable with who you are if that's what you have. I think the better part about it is living with it if you can understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the great things that we touched on on the first podcast that, you know, we did on mine. Um, people were really, really in tune because they loved how open you are about your own childhood. Was that something that was really hard for you to kind of give up a little bit? I know Generally, I don't really see psychiatrists, and I, I could I could be wrong. They don't really like to give in a little bit of too much of what they went through. But with you, you, you gave it up a little bit. So um, I, it's really not difficult for me to talk about, like, personal experiences for the most part. Um, 
I mean, I think whenever you're on this type of, you know, public platform that you just have to be careful, you know, that not disclosing information about somebody that could be hurtful to them or whatever. But as far as my personal experiences, I mean, I am really open with patients um, about situations, things that I've experienced, because number one, I feel like having a very like human approach with people helps to establish rapport and helps them to open up and feel comfortable and not to feel alone. Um, and honestly, in this profession, like building rapport and is like the number one most important thing, like learning about medicines and that kind of stuff, like anybody can do that, but not just anybody necessarily has um, like the personality where people feel like they they feel safe and they feel like they can open up and they feel like they're not judged. And I think the more that you show people that, yes, I'm human too, and, like, I've experienced a lot of this, that they just feel more comfortable and, like, more supported. I think when you shared a lot of your story in the first one, they were all – I think a lot of people who really don't really know you know you was very – almost taken back that you, you know, had – you know, had kids at a young age, you went, you know, you endured some struggle in your life. You went through personal mental things that you, you know, mental abuses or whatever you went through early on in your life and, you know, dropping out of school and and going to nursing school and trying to figure out what you want to do with your life and a career. Like it almost, it was almost like a fairy tale story, like a, like a good comeback story. And people really do like that, but that was like your real life. Did you see it as something like that? Like something that you really truly overcame? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely it's not been a fairy tale, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but I will say, um, like, I, it's not, I'm not ashamed of it. Like, it is something that I'm very proud of because I have had to work really hard. Um, and I think that it's a good example that, you know, lots of people can have, like, different barriers. Um, but at the end of the day, like, if you, if it's something that you really want that you'll find a way to get it. And so, you know, like just basically things are hard, you know, things in life can be really sucky sometimes and maybe you didn't have the best upbringing or the best, you know, maybe you don't have the best finances or, you know, just all the struggles, different things that we face. But I will say, you know, that you just have to kind of like make decisions, you know, try to be motivated and go after what you want. I mean, for me, Like, I did not want to stay in that level of poverty, and I certainly did not want to raise my kids that way. Um, And so, you know, like, in a lot of ways, it wasn't easy. And, I mean, it took a lot of time away from them being a mother and being in school and working. So, I mean, it wasn't like there wasn't sacrifices made. Um, But at the end of the day, I think also it can maybe kind of give people the – like a different kind of view on things and like don't just kind of look at somebody and where they are and just assume that things were like handed to them because I think that we're real quick to like judge and real quick to kind of think that about people oh well it must be nice yeah you know I think the narrative can be kind of spun a little bit especially if they don't really try to get to know you as a person they could see what you have and don't have now and be like well they didn't really do. I can tell they at this age, they really didn't do much, but they don't obviously know where, you know, what you've overcame. And when I think about the, the stories that you give that you gave me and then you talked about your parents was. And so 
I know your father passed away, but was, did your mom did your mom hear the podcast or did she did she heard? Oh it. wow! So was was that? Did you get a reaction out of that whole conversation? Or and if you don't mind sharing, what was? Um, I think that you know that she felt. I think that it hurt her feelings a little bit. And honestly, I didn't even I didn't re-listen to the whole podcast, so I'm not a hundred percent sure of like how exactly I worded it. But I I think it was something along the lines of that I always felt like I had a close bond with my dad, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that he, you know, he was not a model, you know, father all the times. He wasn't always um, around. He didn't always contribute financially. Um, but for whatever reason, that I really always had a really strong bond with him, and I always felt like he was kind of my, um, like my go-to person whenever I was struggling, like I could just always talk to him about anything. And so with my mom, I mean, she's actually, you know, the one that was a single parent. And while she had her own struggles, I mean, she, she and I haven't, I guess, had as close of a relationship um, as I had with him. And so I think that it hurt her feelings that I said that. And so she kind of like her, how she, how she kind of it, viewed what I said was that I loved him more than I loved her and that that is absolutely not what I meant at all no I, I think you really spoke on on spars like the trauma part of it and you gave it to an experience that I think that people could actually relate because there's a lot of people who were in that situation that I'm sure you were in but in a whole different circumstance and the only reason I even brought that up or asked about the reaction is because I want people to really understand that you didn't even have to put that information out there and not even the fear of that you may have gotten that reaction, but you did that because that's just you and that's your human and how much you're willing to give to this podcast to let them see how vulnerable you can get mm-hmm. despite what you may get in return. You know, that's, that's one of those things too. Like it's safe that, you know, people can go see help and it's safe for you to talk about things if you want to. Right. And I think like for me, I am constantly like a sponge. I'm constantly like, I want to know, like why we think the way we think and why we act the way that we act. Like it really fascinates me. And so when I'm talking about these things, like I'm also in myself trying to, like I'm trying to learn like why, you know, why did I favor or have this close bond with my dad? Um, Like, and a lot of it, like we're going to talk about kind of goes back to childhood and, um, you know, like just basically, maybe the different types of relationships that we had or the experiences that we had that really molds us. And then we become adults and we're basically kind of following in these same patterns. And so I'm always trying to figure out in myself, like, why, like, why did I act a certain way? Like I was actually thinking, and then I told you I've been doing all this studying because I knew that we were going to talk about trauma and I have this, terrible imposter syndrome where I think that I'm supposed to know all the stuff and I'm not going to know it because it's impossible because it's so much. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very general. It, it's a broad. It's and a I, I think that people kind of try to pinpoint it to certain things, you know, and like, you know, what people normally hear is childhood trauma, uh, you know, uh, abuse trauma, stuff like that. Like they generalize it to a few, but actually it's more broad than that. I don't think they really truly understand that. It's a lot. I mean, it is like, from like the neuroscience part mm-hmm. to like there's a lot of like biological factors, environmental, genetics. Um, I mean it kind of just goes 
like it's a lot like it you can't it's not one size fits all right um so and like we talked about last time i i think like two people could experience the same thing and one of those people you know have trauma related to that experience and the other person not there's a lot of factors that influence that like your support systems like some people are just kind of generally more resilient than others but there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons there's a lot of contributing factors. Yeah. And do you think circumstance is one of those? <clears throat> you know? Uh, yes, absolutely. There's a mo- lots of circumstances. But, um, like, I was thinking whenever I was, I start doing all this reading and it makes me, like, revert back to my child self and, like, think about the way that I was. And it's probably hard for people to believe this, but I was, like, deathly shy mm-hmm. when I was young. I mean, like. It te- now I know that I had a lot of anxiety. I mean, at the time, I didn't know that what it was called, but I was almost like in a frozen state. Like right. I just, it was so hard for me to, to talk to people. Um, and I also remember like we were really poor um, and we moved a lot and like we lived in not the best housing conditions. And I remember being like really embarrassed about where we lived yeah. to the point that I, rem- I think maybe it was like middle school, but we used to have um, like somebody used to drop us off from school and I would have them drop me off like two or three houses down because I was so embarrassed where I lived. Um, and so I don't know. I just wonder like why I had so much shame. Do you, do you think, again, like I think that the reason you were scared to really reach out to people and maybe get to know them and become friends with them is because they may see the conditions that you were in, that you were embarrassed of? Maybe. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't know. I just remember like I can, I can literally like feel like the shame and the embarrassment that I would feel. Right. Like um, it was just, you get this really like rushed, hot feeling yes. and like pit of your stomach and yes. and not knowing at that time as a kid that that was anxiety instead of you were just like, just like, I don't know if you like sweated or, you know, did all the normal oh, yeah, things. Yeah, all the normal things. Yeah. yeah. So when you were dealing with that as a child, do you remember how you would handle those situations? How did you calm yourself down from that anxiety? I just avoided. Uh-huh. Like I just avoided. And I was going to talk about like the different, basically, like there's different stages like there's um like uh free like freeze flight mm-hmm. so freeze is basically like you can't get away from the threat so i'm just going to like freeze flight is like i can get away from it but like i'm going to have to fight my way out of right. it right um so i think a lot of times that for whatever reason like just kind of like i remember feeling like frozen like i just couldn't like i don't i don't know why it was do you think it was more like at the fear of it because you didn't realize it was anxiety at the time yes and, and i was why was i so fearful but it i mean it was again like just not wanting to be social I, you know because it would did you consider that like social anxiety now i know it's anxiety but like yes. i always feel like anxiety and social anxiety are different now i could be wrong no they're different okay so do you think that maybe that was social anxiety that you were dealing with too yes because basically it happened way more i mean it happened in social situations right like where I was in a situation where I needed to be social with other people. Right. And I had a lot of difficulty with that. So I would just like, I remember I would rather like sit alone than to have to like try to go and like make conversation with people. Even if that made you miserable? 
Because that couldn't I, have no, been. I think that I didn't feel as miserable. You but, felt but better. But you know what? Like, looking back, I think that I always felt like I didn't belong. Right. And a lot of that now I know is from ADHD. Right. Like, you feel like... Like you feel like you're different from other people because you kind of are. Well, were you at, was it to the point where your behavior was different than the other kids and that's why you no. felt different? No, no, I don't think, I don't know why. I mean, that, well, I think I felt different because I think that I had um, like embarrassment about, you know, maybe not being like having the same kinds of clothes that right. the other kids had. Um, like I had shame about, you know, not having, like, a two-parent home. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I think I was probably, like, in the third or fourth grade before I realized that, like, it wasn't normal for, for parents just to, like, smoke pot. Because my parents, like, they just openly, like... They did it? Yes. Like, it was just, like, laying out. Like, it wasn't any... Like, I was just conditioned that that was just, like, a normal thing. It's like, well, you think that those things were normalized to you, that if you were to speak about it, people would look at you different because that was normal to you. To them, it would be, like, a taboo type of thing, Right, but then once I realized that it wasn't normal, that was just something else for me to be embarrassed embarrassed about, about, basically. Well, tell me about this. Trauma is one of those subjects that I've told you since the beginning. That is... Is the most in, that's the most interesting topic because it's so broad, yet it's very, it's very, it's less spoken about because people just want to, you know, kind of dumb it down to three or four topics on that. Mm-hmm. So what what about trauma when you when you took this field of work? What about the trauma interested you the most that you taken on a passion for it? I mean, to be completely honest with you, I think that I didn't become as passionate about trauma until. I started to work with ketamine. Um, So whenever I did my training on ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, it is very trauma-heavy. It is, like, very deep because basically the idea is that you're trying to, with ketamine, which is um, basically a disassociative anesthetic that we use somewhat as a psychedelic. Yeah. Um, But the the idea is that you have these... um, maybe these either these um like feelings or maybe these experiences that are like deep in your subconscious and mm-hmm. they're causing you problems and so our you know our goal is to get to that like that deeply rooted whatever it is do they do you only go for those if it causes episodes with them those kind of triggers does that is that what normally the ketamine is going to be used for um so typically really I mean, first of all, we use it off-label, meaning that it's not actually approved by the FDA because right. it's actually an anesthetic for, like, surgery. Right. Um, but we use it primarily for people that have, like, treatment-resistant depression, um, severe trauma. Like, not like you're not just going to come in and, like, you've never even been on trial to an antidepressant and we just go straight for ketamine. Right. Yeah. Like, it's people that have, you know, struggled for a long time, have tried other treatment modalities that didn't work, basically. And so it is like some deep, like, it's it's deep. Um, Do you think that's almost like one of those, um, I don't want to say the last straw, but... You know, if they tried everything else and it still didn't work, like this is one of y'all's best options that are... Correct. So okay. basically, like whenever you're looking, at, say if you like had an algorithm yeah, um, of treating depression. So you start here, which is typically like um, SSRIs, which are like just your traditional antidepressants, and then you kind of go up. And so once you get to a certain point where you have kind of trialed multiple medicines, therapy, 
um, then you get to different kind of higher level treatment modalities like um, ketamine, ECT, uh, which is electroconvulsive therapy, has to be done in a hospital, transmagnetic stimulation, which typically like it's an expensive machine that is only only certain like psychiatry groups have. So, yeah, you're kind of getting into, like, way more advanced. I was going to say, it seems like advanced treatments, almost yes. like an invasive treatment a little bit, don't oh, you think? Oh, ECT is. ECT, um, we don't even, they, I have to send people to either Nashville or Memphis to have ECT done. Okay. And it's very, um, I mean, you have to go, like, five days a week. It's oh done in God. a hospital that, under light anesthesia. It's, it's very involved. So, obviously, you would have to be suffering pretty greatly. To do a treatment like that because, I mean, it would be hard for somebody to even work. Have you seen the ketamine treatment results firsthand? I know you were studying about it for a while, but have oh, you yeah. actually seen it? Oh, yeah. We're still doing it. I've treated over 30 people at this point. And it, amazing results. Yes. Okay. Um, so, well, so I will say that I'm really transparent with people about ketamine in the beginning um, in that it is not a cure. It is just basically like another form of treatment that we have um and just like all the other treatments available you're going to get out of it what you put into it so you can't expect to come and get a few ketamine sessions and then you're like going to be cured like you have to continue with your therapy and basically like lifestyle change it like identifying things in your life you know if you're in an unhappy marriage i can give you all the ketamine in the world and it's not going to fix it. It's not going to change it. Right. So why do people downplay therapy so much then? Like just therapy in general? Just in general. If there's a lot of treatments out there and they're, they're I mean, they're out there for the grab. If They just got to put the work in. I, and I think that's what I feel like. Sometimes people just kind of, they downplay therapy because they, it's almost like people who do diets all the time. Mm-hmm. Like they'll start it and they'll be okay. And then as soon as they're done, they'll get back to where they're at. Then they start it again. It's like they don't, they don't follow through. And I think with therapy, you have to follow through because if you're wanting to stay better, you got to keep doing better. I mean, honestly, because I think that we just live in a world where we just want something that's easy to yeah. fix it. Quick and fast. And it's yep. not. I mean, it's not easy. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's going to weekly appointments. It's doing homework. It's doing the work. And if you don't do the work, I mean, that's why sometimes people will be like, you know, well, I just don't think I'm going to do therapy anymore because it don't really seem to be working. It's not working because you're not working it. Yeah. And I don't even think that they're really in that position to make that call respectfully. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're in a the position to make that call. Like, if you know that you have an issue and it's recognized and you still go to therapy because you were recommended and you feel like, OK, I'm going to try this. I don't think you're in the place to make a call whether it's working or not. Mm-hmm. I think somebody who's in that field and the professional should tell you that. Yes. And I think just in general, like, I actually have been reading this new book. It's called Dopamine Nation. Mm -hmm. And it just talks about, like, our society and how we, like, basically we are are all, like, bored because we don't have to do the things that people used to have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have to think about where our food's going to come from. We don't have to go out hunting. I mean, ultimately, even people that are, you know, financially in poverty, typically they're not, you know, like they have food. I mean, they have, you know, like they're not worried about that. Well, really, like as humans, we were designed to like have to do these things. And now we don't have to do any of that. So people have like this internal restlessness. Mm -hmm. um, But it's basically 
And then it talks about dopamine and it, it is so fascinating. Like it talks about with like social media and just the world we live in where everything is just like constantly like giving us this jolt of dopamine. But really what it leaves, what happens is ultimately we're like dopamine deficient. So we're always seeking something to make yeah. us feel better. Yeah, I think that's what social media is, honestly. Uh, we need to have a whole podcast about this because yeah. <laughs> basically it talks about like how basically your pain and pleasure yeah. are activated in the same exact part of the brain. And so it's always trying to balance out. So if you scroll on TikTok, it gives you this you know surge of dopamine. As soon as you stop, it's like it's like your dopamine starts to deplete and it starts to like move to the side of pain. Yeah. So you're we're like constantly seeking anything. Yeah. Like, Something interesting, you know, yes. to, to give you that stimulating. Yeah, stimulating to keep your attention. And when you're, it's it's actually very true because I can distinctly remember people. I was uh, just somebody close to me. You know, their kids will be on. YouTube, videos, 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 and as soon as one of their videos doesn't keep them interested anymore, they're bored all of a sudden. They like it are. doesn't have their it doesn't have their interest anymore. And they're not. I mean, just like go in a restaurant and look around. Yeah. It, there is not gonna be a kid in there without an iPad. Or people with their phones out. Yes. You know, like we are absolutely like it is now or zombies. It's <laughs> a now an official diagnosis in the DSM five, like um video game addiction. I think, I don't know if social media is in there or not, but video games for sure. And it is absolutely the truth. You take like a cell phone away from, and I mean, look, I'm guilty too. Like my kids addicted hey, to yeah, it me too. too. So, I mean, I'm not <laughs> the, like, I'm not saying that, and I'm addicted to my phone. If I leave it at home, I will turn around and go get it for real. If I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be without my phone all day. Oh, my God. Like, I'm like uh. It's like an attachment. It's an un I, And, like, listen, and I'm no stranger to this unhealthy attachment. It's, you know, I do business through it. I communicate with my family. I communicate with my kids. I entertain myself with, with the phone, with TikTok and everything. Like, it's become a strange addiction. That I think everybody's kind of bypassing as normal nowadays because it's like, like you said, you can't walk into a restaurant well, with I mean, everybody having one. It is normal for our kids. They don't know any different. They don't know any different. We did. We had to go outside. Exactly. My mom would say, go outside and don't come back until it's lunchtime. So now there's actually this thing called, like, these um, doctors are prescribing a dopamine detox, right? And so this whole book that I actually listened to this two-hour podcast um, on this lady. Her name's, like, Anna Bloomberg or something. I don't know. I'll post it on the Facebook page. But anyway, she wrote this book, Dopamine Nation. She's a psychiatrist. Right. And she talks about um, basically the this dopamine detox. And it's the same as if you like detox from drugs and alcohol. Yeah. It's exactly the same. But she said, like, you're going to feel really crappy for like the first 10 days. Like, you're going to be miserable. And we're talking about like detoxing from your phone. Yeah. I don't think people can handle that. I don't, oh. I don't think that their their attention span is so minute now because of the phone, because of TikTok and 15 second, 15 second videos, that if you did take their phone away, some kids wouldn't even know what to do. They would, if you, but what she's saying is if you do it for a full 30 days, like yeah. the first 10 days, they're going to hate it. They're going to be miserable. I mean, basically like if you was withdrawing from like alcohol. Yeah. After the first 10 days, like, it gets better. But what she says is, like, at the end of 30 days, you feel completely different. So, 
like I think I'm going to try it with like obviously like I can't get rid of my phone. I mean, right. you know, like it's like your connection, but like social media, like I'm wondering like if I could do it for like 30 days. Yeah. And I think generally I, I think I, I did. I got off. Of, I will say this. I'm proud of this. I got off of Facebook for a year and a half. Like I was completely off, de- like deactivated my account, didn't get back on it. It was probably after I ended my last podcast and I got off it for about a year and a half. And it was so weird how much time I had. That's what I'm saying. Because I was literally doing things that I normally would be sitting on the couch looking at watch videos on um, Facebook or I'd be looking through Marketplace or I'd just be looking scrolling. And you just don't realize. And I think that I didn't even realize how powerful TikTok was when it first came out that you could literally watch TikTok and be on it for two hours and didn't feel like it because you just constantly well she talks about um this is like this was really kind of profound for me because i haven't ever really worked in the field of addiction um that's kind of a specialty that i've never worked in right um not that i don't have some patients that have struggled with addiction or are in recovery just typically with addiction it's like a specialty um but I mean, what this book is about is addiction, basically. So she talks about, like, if you have an itch. Yeah. Like, if you have an itch, you, like, if you're focused on it, you cannot scratch it. You know, like, you're like, okay, like, I'm not supposed to scratch it. I'm not going to do it. But when you go to sleep, you're going to scratch it Mm -hmm. and not even realize it. So she, like, basically compares, like, addiction the same. Like, as long as somebody's in recovery, as long as they are focused, but the minute that they divert their attention they have they have are back using again and they don't even realize it and she talks about that with our phone and i'm like she is absolutely right like you don't even realize that you're picking your phone up and getting on it like we just are on autopilot basically yeah i mean i think and 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 i'll be honest with you and you can probably correct me if i'm wrong but i think with all the phones and the tablets and everything it's made talking about being antisocial. some kids don't even know how to communicate like that anymore no, if you if y'all want to be don't. honest, I know my son had a hard time being social when he was younger, and it was because of that. And my sister, my older sister Natasha, I would all, she's a school teacher in Alamo, and she was a big advocate of get him off the tablets, like stop giving it to him every five minutes. Just because he cries for it doesn't mean you can give it to him. And I didn't realize how powerful like being addicted to watching YouTube and all that stuff was. And he would go play with other kids and wouldn't know how to interact or play because all he was ever doing was sitting on the tablet exactly i mean yeah i think that that you know generationally like that that generation is i don't know how good their socialization and communication is gonna be yeah it's definitely been a downward spiral since you know i I know since younger kids with with uh i think it started with vine but it started with from vine to tiktok and now it's gonna whatever's next after tiktok will just take over just like tiktok dig it's just gonna be someone's gonna replace it all at all times well and it's not going away no i mean we need to just face the fact but you know i mean i think we as parents can do better myself included on like i mean phones have like limits on them that you can set for your kids where actually i have it set for myself I have it. I have my phone set to where it will like notify me if I'm if I'm on social media. I think I have it set for like more uh, like an hour, like yeah. an hour a day. If I'm on it for more than an hour, it'll like say, hey, your your time is up. So I mean, maybe even setting some restrictions like that for your kids. 
Because otherwise, I mean, I know my kid, he will stay on those video games for 12 hours without blinking. You know what I did? <laughs> I did a trick I did with my daughter because she has a phone. But it's because I, it's, it's giving me direct access to her so I can talk to her FaceTime whenever I want. When she's here, uh, normally if I know we're going to be somewhere for a little while, I don't mind her using it. But when she's in the house, I always give her a charger that doesn't work. So it doesn't charge your phone. <laughs> oh, sneaky. <laughs> and she's like, it's dead. I'm like, well, I don't know, Presley. It works on mine. And I'll grab a whole different charger. And I'll be like, look, mine works. I guess you need to stay off of it. <laughs> but I mean, like, I don't really, I don't, I see some kids and teenagers in my office. And like, they'll just come in, you know, just being on their phone. And yeah. Like, but I mean, look, when she's not on it, she's like, you know, walk, taking walks with me. She's helping me clean the house. She's helping me organize things. She's spending time with me. She's not on the phone. Good. So it works out for me. I mean, it, it is good. I mean, it, it it is a problem for all of us. So, but yeah, Dopamine Nation, like I have the, I had, I've been listening to the audio book. I'm waiting on my hard copy to come in, but it's really, really good. Like it's very enlightening. So, and tell me this, I know when we touch on trauma, what is one of the main trauma topics that you really like to touch on that doesn't really get talked about really honestly like childhood childhood i have to agree that that's one of the most popular but people like to keep it very subtle because they don't like to bring up stuff um and they sometimes people actually like to be a little negative about saying that you can get over childhood trauma and i honestly don't really believe that i think i you know i've given you a story about me Mm -hmm. um you know, you've told me a few things. I've talked to other people in my life about things that happened to them when they were younger. And I don't think you can really grow out of it. I think you're just willing to learn to accept it. And you just kind of go from there. Well, and I think, um, like, when I say childhood trauma, I'm not really necessarily meaning, like, childhood abuse necessarily. Yeah, and trauma is generalized. maybe more like developmental trauma. So basically... um, Like, I've been looking over, like, the neurobiology of trauma just because I feel like if you can understand this part, then it's easier to understand how um, things that you experienced in childhood are going to affect you as an adult. Right. So, basically, whenever you're looking at, like, brain structures that are involved with with trauma, at the very bottom is the brain stem. So, this is what is referred to as, like, the reptilian brain. Um... So basically, like the things that you don't have to think about that are um, your body temperature, breathing, your heart rate, like your brain, you know, you don't think about those things. They just work, right? So the reptilian part of your brain um, is the brain stem, the bottom of the brain. Right. Okay. Well, as you move further up, like things get more complex. So at the top part is the cortex. This is like the smart part of the brain, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, this part of the brain, you're going to have like um, planning, organizing, imagination, like all the things that we can do as a human. So whenever you have um, like something comes in from one of your senses, like hearing, smell, taste, it travels from the bottom up. So it goes through that brainstem the bottom of the brain first and travels up so basically if you think about the top part of the brain the smart brain that that part of the brain is not developed right right as a baby so think about a baby like they know how to eat sleep poop Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it so the rest of the smart part of the brain 
develops through your experiences, right? So think about that. Yeah. So basically, from from the time that you're in the womb, like you're developing your ideas, beliefs about the world from how you experience things. Yeah. And I mean, we experience trauma from birth. And like, this is really like resonating with me because I just had a grandbaby last week. Right. Yeah. Congratulations on being a grandmother. Thank you. So think about this. Um, like the birth, like for the baby, like the birthing process is traumatic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very much. I mean, so you go from being like in this warm, soothing, rhythmic. Yeah. To being, first of all, having to go through the birth canal and it's, you know, to being like, oh my God, bright lights, it's cold. Like that's traumatic. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, just an example of an experience. Um, like the experiences that you have with your caregivers, your mother, your parents, you know, yeah. is it, you know, that they look at you with love in their eyes or do they look at you like you're getting on my nerves, mm-hmm. you know, stop crying. Yeah. Um. So every experience that you have, that is forming the top part of the brain. And so as we continue and get older, and I think I told you like the most, I mean, this is proven the most damage can be done from traumatic experiences that happened before the age of two. Yeah. yeah. So there's going to be more resilience um, after that age. And so obviously whenever we talk about like deeply rooted trauma, I mean, how much more deeply rooted can you get other than trauma that occurred before the age of two? Like we can't recall those things, but our body can recall it. Our yeah. body knows like everything, every experience that we ever have is stored in your brain. It's yeah. in there. So like when we talk about things or people come in and they're like, I'm having these panic attacks and they're like coming for, you know, they're coming out of nowhere. They are triggered by something. Yeah. So like if you think about um, like a veteran, right? And I had this experience with my dad actually who was uh, um, in Vietnam. So... You know, they were, he was in Vietnam, severe, like saw his whole platoon get blown up. Yeah, what are the things he's seen, right. oh my God, it's ungodly. So, you, he hears, um, well, actually, I'll just tell you what happened. So, we, we took him, he came to visit, we took him to see a general's game, and it was on firework night. Oh my God, that's the worst. I mean, honest to God, like, I didn't, this was, I wasn't even in psych at the time. Yeah, yeah, you I couldn't have known. No, I didn't you even think known. about it, but when those fireworks started going off... I mean, it was like he completely disassociated. I mean, it's like he was just, he was frozen in fear. Yeah. And so what happens is like they, somebody that's experienced that trauma, they hear that. What the first thing it does is goes to that bottom part of the brain. Well, that bottom part doesn't tell time. It just has that, a fear response. There's gunfire. Mm -hmm. That, that means something bad. Yes. Something bad is going to happen. Yeah. So it something t- that he was probably fearing for his life, his right. actual, I think uh, there's not that many people who's had close calls to death like that, especially then when it was unpredictable in the right. Vietnam War. And so basically, you know, if you're in Vietnam, like that hyper arousal, that stress response is an adaptive response. That's what you should do. You know, you should go into hyper alert. Mm-hmm. But the problem with the brain is that the, it, it hits that dumb part first, the bottom, and it doesn't tell time. All it remembers is that that's bad. 
So it throws you into this stress response, and it takes a while for that to get up to the smart part of the brain. So that's why people have that, like, yeah. they have these responses, and it can last hours to days. And they're usually kind of unexplained to them because they don't understand what's going on. Exactly. They just know that they're having a panic and attack. And, like, obviously with him, like, we knew. Like, no. we knew what it was, you know. But, I mean, he was like, I'm telling you, he went home and he was in the bed for a day. Oh, no. Like, no, it doesn't. He had an episode, it yes, seems like. Yes. Like, it doesn't, even when it finally gets to the top part of the brain, like, it takes him a long time to get over these oh, episodes. No. But with, like. He had to get back to reality. So, you know? another example, like, with a panic attack or with a trauma that you can't figure out, right. like, why your body's responding. So, let's say that you were like sexually abused as a child but maybe you like have blocked it out you don't you don't have a, any memories of right. it well this perpetrator maybe he wore like this certain type of aftershave mm-hmm. body well, you wash, might be cologne. walking through walmart and you smell that and your body is like i need to be afraid yeah like this what? is yes it's, it's triggering it you know? triggers that that deeply rooted and so Basically, that's where it comes from. Like your body knows. Like, no. thing, like there's people say it doesn't come out of nowhere. Like right. there is some reason why you're having this. So I wonder why it's always been dismissed like that. Then of something people, that could just be getting over on as, as the older you get. Because I mean, people just don't like they just don't realize it. Or like if you've experienced a trauma that's repressed, or that happened so long, you know, as a child. Then you don't know, you don't remember it. You don't know why your body's responding that way. Right. And so basically, whenever you're looking at trauma, um, I kind of wanted to run through like the types of trauma because I get asked this a lot. So yeah. basically, um, there's several types, but there's one, there's global high activation trauma, which can happen like from early experiences. Like we just talked about birth traumas, early surgeries, um, illnesses, Choking a lot of times in little bitty kids, drowning, um, high impact or failure trauma, basically like falling, head injuries, um, attacks by either an, a human or an animal, um, sexual abuse, natural or man-made disasters. So people that have been in like earthquakes, hurricanes, like um, 9-11 uh-huh. would be an example of that. And then emotional traumas are just basically traumas that somebody experienced that um, there weren't physical, but the emotional part of it, which can be just as damaging. Yeah, um, And I so agree. basically, whenever you're looking at, you know, we talked about not everybody's going to respond the same. Like there's a lot of different factors that can kind of determine how somebody maybe like if they are able to heal from a trauma or not and so like the environmental factors like their support system like do they have people to talk to you know do they have a supportive family um developmentally like was there other things that happened to them as a child that could have potentially make them more vulnerable right um and so age we talked about very important um but i think that like just like having some understanding of like just that little part of the brain and like the the bottom part versus the top part and how like your senses 
travel and they start at the bottom part, which doesn't know like when this happened. It can't tell time like it's the dumb part. And but that like that stress response, like your body's basically trying to protect you. Yeah. I mean, it even if it, you know, is an uncomfortable thing, basically our body's always trying to find a state of homeostasis or like balance. Balance, yeah. Yes. And so even comfort or some type. Exactly. So, um, even though it can feel uncomfortable, like you need to like listen. Like listen to what your body's trying to tell you. Like if you're having panic attacks, um, if you're having like frequent like stomach aches, if you're having frequent headaches, mm-hmm. your body is like trying to tell you something. Yeah. And you need to listen to it. So I wanted to go over just to like give people like an idea because I have people be like, well, how do I know if I had trauma or not? Right. You know? um, so one thing that we use and well, I mean, we use it at our office as a screening tool in all, with all of our new patients. And in my opinion, it should be used as a screening tool like for every like medical psychiatry, but it's called an ACEs screening. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it's an adverse childhood experience survey. This has been out for years, but basically what they found is that people that have higher scores on this, um, much, much more prevalent to go on to have chronic medical conditions, not just psych conditions, medical, diabetes, high mm-hmm. blood pressure, cardiovascular disease. So there's like a huge connection, like there's a huge mind-body connection. Like people, you know, like used to say, you know, here's the brain and here's the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. But it is not that way at all. No, some people don't even want to even connect both of them to try to act like it's a whole separate thing. But think about it when, let's just imagine somebody who was fine one day, you just see them walk, and then they go to the doctor the next day and they find out they had cancer for three years and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Like they're, when their mind registers what they're dealing with, then they're all of a sudden they're getting sickly. And, you know, it's just like the mind and the body are connected. But sometimes people want to disassociate that those two, and I don't understand why. Oh, they're not. It, it is very associated. Yeah. And, like, the more that you read, like, um, two wonderful, wonderful books that I recommend that have been greatly beneficial to me are um, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. Um, it is wonderful. And What Happened to You? Um, it goes, it's a lot about kind of like childhood adversities, how that affects you as adults. Um, and it talks about like the physical issues that people have, the biological changes that happen to the brain whenever people experience trauma. Um, and honest to God, I feel like that is probably like the most helpful thing is just to have like an understanding of how that's related. And then you're like, oh, you know, like I see now why. I have these issues or these symptoms or whatever. Yeah. You ever had someone that you were had as a patient that had a full blown panic attack that was unexplained to them and you were able to kind of get them through it in the, in the moment. Oh, um, I haven't ever had that happen with one of my patients personally, but we have had it happen at the office before. Mm. So we basically have like a little room set up. Um, it's kind of like a, like a soothing, like a quiet room. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's kind of like where we take people if they are having like something like that. And like it has like a recliner in it and we just kind of let them sit there. And like this lady, her freaking blood pressure, I swear to God, it was like 170 over 100. Oh, my God. Her heart rate was like, I mean, and so you tell me that 
that it doesn't have a physical response. It absolutely does. I mean, that's sometimes that's how hard it hits them, and that's what they're suffering with. And they don't know how to channel that sometimes, you know, and how to deal with it if it's unexplained to them, you know. Right. And sometimes they can. Sometimes they know what their traumatic experience was, but just talking about it triggers them to where they their body starts to go into like a defense mode and they're like okay i'm I'm like i'm about to have a heart attack or something right it's that just that like chronic stress response i mean stress like a stress response is normal but if you are chronically if you have been in a situation where you are chronically stressed like your body is just like in this constant state of state of being like hyper vigilant yeah like, that is whenever people start to have, um, like, they have a lot of, like, medical comorbidities and things. Because, mm. I mean, your body is not designed to be in a constant state of stress. Like, no. the stress response is normal, but it is supposed to be short-term, right? Yeah. And then things go back to normal. But, like, people that live, kids that live maybe, like, in a dysfunctional, like, abusive, you know, childhood growing up like that's more of like a chronic Mm -hmm. like then you become in this like chronically stressed state and i think about it kind of like a rubber band like if you're just like stretching it stretching it stretching it eventually like it gets to where like the elasticity is gone yeah so it's kind of the same like then all of a sudden like you your stress response like it's just there's no different like, there's no differentiation up, yeah it's yeah. just it's all like, the same it's normal to them now yes like it's everything is like just in a state of like dysregulation right however all that being said there is hope like mm-hmm. there is lots of things that people can do for healing um and we can talk about that in you know future podcasts but you know definitely the first thing is kind of like come like come into an acceptance that there that there is a problem yeah um and you know it may not be trauma related but for whatever reason you have some symptoms that are causing impairment in your life right so the first thing is like acceptance of that identifying that you know seeking professional help and then basically looking at all the different options and it's not just um pharmaceuticals i mean there's lots and and actually i will say that there's probably lifestyle changes that you can make that are more beneficial Mm -hmm. but you know with that kind of thing it's a lot of work and and stuff you have to kind of follow through right yes when when you when you deal with all right so when we talked about your past trauma and then we talked about you know you dealing with the fact that you came to the conclusion of adhd and everything how are you, did you do a lifestyle change? What did you do to cope with what you were dealing with? Or are you still constantly coping with it in your own way? That's funny that you asked that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I have always been somebody that just like constantly is um, like constantly like having to like be the best. Yeah. Constantly like seek, like what am I going to do next? Um, and that, you know, I mean, to an extent, that can be a positive thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. very motivating. However, this past year has been really difficult. Just, um, like, having the practice, and we had a lot of, like, changes. Um, it was just really hard on me. And so, basically, you know, I started to experience a lot of burnout. And, like, I identified it. Like, I tried to be in denial about it for a while. But then, like, I started to have a, like, it, it was hard for me to get out of the bed in yeah. the morning. Um And I was like, okay. So I had to accept that, like, I was going to have to take a step back from, like, my clinical role, basically, because my cup was just so empty that I could not pour into anybody else. Yeah. Um, 
And so through that, like just basically saying, okay, like, you know, I have to accept that I can't be all the things and do all the things. Like I'm not superwoman and I'm going to have to take some time off. And like I have been like definitely like exercise is very therapeutic for me. Um, Like it helps a lot with my stress and my anxiety. So I make it a point. Now, look, I don't love to exercise. (laughs) So let's not get this misconstrued. (laughs) Who does? But I do like it really does make me feel so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that I've been really consistent with. Um, Like I really have made an effort to like try to eat healthier most of the time. I would say I try to eat healthy like maybe 70% of the time. I'm not like on any kind of restrictive diet. But I mean, just in general, and I think too, like as we get older, like we realize that our own mortality and like we start thinking, you know, like, about a lot of things that you take for granted whenever you're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, like and you're time. like, this is like my, you know, this is my vessel. Like, this is the only one that I have. And like, mm-hmm. I need to take care of it. Like, I need to think about the things that I'm putting into this body that has been given to me. Um, because I want to be around for like a lot more years. Yeah. Um, so just trying to make, con- I'm con- I mean, like things like making, like drinking more water. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving up my Diet Coke, but I do try to drink more water. I'm never giving up sweet tea. I don't care. The doctor but, can tell me that every day, and I'm like, dude, I'm never giving that up. I'm just going to have to go. But you know what? I used to be this way, and I have learned, like, having, like, having that all-or-none attitude. Yeah. You know, like, January 1st, you know, I'm going to be on this keto diet. I'm going to exercise seven days a week. And then if I missed one day, I was like, just forget it. You know, <laughs> now I'm just going to go get me a quarter pounder with cheese and I don't even care anymore. But like, that is not a good way to be. Like, what you need to do is have one consistent small change. Yeah. Like, I don't care. It could be like every morning when I get up, I'm going to drink a glass of water. Right. Yeah, I mean, that would be small changes, you know, baby steps. Do that for like 30 days. Don't do anything else. Just do Mm. that one little thing. And then, like, you will start feeling better about yourself because you've actually stuck to something. And then add on to it rather than that all or none. Because that all or none is going to get you nowhere. Trust me, I've been doing it for how long. Well, it's just like, it's the shock of it. I mean, they used to, like, my brother-in-law is like a a fitness director or, or something something like that, personal trainer. Mm-hmm. And um, he'd tell you, like, he's giving me all, like, he could give me the best advice, give me all the tools and everything, but I'm not going to take on a lifestyle that I never really would have wanted anyway. And so my chances of quitting it will be two weeks in or whatever, usually a week yeah. or so. And it's it's nothing against the help and the advice. that It's just like, it's one of those things, like, I'm, I didn't eat vegetables as a kid, so I'm not going to like them as an adult. And I don't even want to try it. And it already, like, I'm already, if I have to dread eating, then I'm not going to want to finish this out. Right. You know what Well, I'm I think it's all about just, like, moderation. Like, if I, you know, go out to eat, like, I don't want to be feeling like it's, like, a restrictive thing that I'm doing and, like, I can't get what I want to get, like, at certain times. So... You know, part of that, I think, too, is just getting older and wiser and, like, figuring out what works for you. But definitely, like, there's a lot of research about the crap that we eat and its relation to our mental health. I mean, that could be a whole nother um, 
you know, like all the artificial stuff. And I mean, really, like just basically we just need to try to eat cleaner and less processed stuff. It's just so much process out there. And and, and what do you do when you don't have the time in a day? Like you, you, especially if you're working towards like a better life, especially with inflation and the way jobs are nowadays and, 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 and required to eat, like even eating good is way more expensive than eating processed. You like know it's what wild. you do? You quit making excuses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to keep that. I, I just can't do away with the things I like. I, I haven't managed. You can. You just uh, don't want to. I don't want there's to. A, there's a <laughs> I don't want to at all. That's what Look, I tell my patients. You I'm not, can. There's a difference. Look, now. I, as long as I don't get as long as I don't get fat, I'm fine. I haven't well, been fat in years, so. I'm so fine. basically, you know, if it's something that we really want, we'll do it. So what you have to do is make the decision. She's gonna call me out, Anna, just yeah, like that. Much. Lord have mercy. So you just have to make the decision that you are worth it. Like I'm worth it, and I'm I and it. I'm gonna make this time because I know I need to eat better. So I'm gonna take set aside two hours on Sunday, and I'm gonna meal prep five meals. So at least five days out of the week, I can eat a healthier lunch. That's two hours out of the week that we could lessen our scrolling on TikTok for me, and that'd easily be two hours. But I'm just saying, like you're. You're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable and that you don't necessarily want to do to make positive changes in your life. And it's not going to be easy, but you're going to have to not make excuses and you're going to have to do it or either you're going to have to just quit whining about it. Listen, I just felt really uncomfortable drinking that tea as you're giving me great advice because I drank I drank that tea so good. It was so good. And I and I felt guilty for drinking it. You didn't feel guilty for long. <laughs> no, I didn't. I really want to get another one, but it would be rude. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I, I agree. When I was on my health kick, I stuck to it because I wanted to better myself. It did help me mentally. I was in a better headspace. I ate cleaner. I felt like I felt I was a little more productive. I, I didn't stay on social. That's when I was off for a year and a half on social media. And then I came back to social media and I was I look like a completely different person. Uh, my attitude towards things changed. I, I think I grew up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes situations can bring the immaturity out in you. And I felt like that year and a half was growth that I needed. Mm-hmm. And the lifestyle change was really good. And it, it made me more aware that I can accomplish more when I don't succumb to some of the things I like to indulge in, like fast food, staying up all night, um, my Mountain Dews. Oh, God. I don't think I can give those up either. Um, but just in general, like a whole, like just everything that I felt like, it's just little things like eating bad will make you not want to go do anything. Like make you want to stay in oh, bed, absolutely. get off the couch. Yes. And like, and then you just, you become so complacent and just being okay with like, uh, I don't, I don't feel like I need to do that. But then, well, I think that, you know, like it's real easy too for us to be like, I just, you know, I just, I can't do it. Like, I'm just too busy. To, like, I just have this happened and there's just too. But then we just kind of have to take a step back and say, okay, is it really that I can't or is it that I don't want to? I don't want to. Yeah. That's really what so the just be is. So just be honest about it. Like with Diet Coke, like I don't want to, I don't want to give it up. I, I could if I wanted to, but that's just not something right now at this point in time that I want to give up. So I'm kind of focusing on my, you know, like, let me tell you, when I have to make myself get up early, and go to the gym, I'll be so mad. I know. I see. I, I see. I early. see you on Facebook on your story. And I'm like, I get up early, but I ain't getting up to do that. But, you know, <laughs> whenever I'm getting up, like grumbling and mad because I'm having to get up early. But then I have to just like remind myself, you're doing this for you because yeah. 
you know that you're going to feel better. And I say, I have to have these talks and these internal talks with myself. Like, you know that you need to do it. So just do it because then you're going to feel better. So it's like, you know, sometimes we just have to take a step back because it's so easy to just not do it. Right. Oh, to I have just, no idea. Yeah. It's like just so easy, but nothing in life is worth having. nothing good. Exactly. Nothing good. Cause I'll tell you what, when I was, I, I say fat loosely, but when I was heavier, I hated the way I, I hated going places cause I didn't like the way I dressed cause I couldn't wear regular clothes that I like to wear. But ever since I, I've got, you know, i maintain my way i've gotten smaller you know I, I get to wear clothes and jeans stuff like that it makes me it feels good you know were you overweight i was heavier i wasn't overweight like i wasn't gigantic oh i was pretty i've lost about 50 pounds i was pretty big like my weight is fluctuated like so, or so you you were 50 pounds heavier before you started how long have you been doing the lifestyle um about a year but but I had, I had like the exercising part. I've been more consistent over the last year, but I've been exercising to some capacity for probably the last two and a half years. Okay. So you, you actually lost the weight the right way. Yes. And that's how you've managed to stay off, like keep the weight off. I, I, my main issue was, you know, I was, grew up in a home just like a lot of people my age grew up in a home where you had to sit at the table until your plate was finished. And, oh, yeah, me too. Can and so imagine? what do you do, like, when, you know, you have all this food and, like, you feel like you have to finish it or you would be reprimanded? It's like, and that's another thing that I always used to trigger me. I, I, I used to do it to my kids. Like, y'all can't get off the table till the food is finished. But I realistically, I, mean, I, I did it, uh, but, I, I, it but I came to that realization, though. I said, my daughter would be like, I'm full. And I'll and I look and I'm like, no, you're not. But then I started realizing, like, no, no this was years ago. And I'd be like, you know what? She probably really is full. That was a lot of food. She does know when she's full. Yeah, I know. I listen. I didn't say I was perfect. But you know, but, all this junk food, is, like it's designed to make people want to keep eating. Eating it, yeah. Yes. I yeah. mean, it's literally addictive. And again, we get back to that dopamine. Like eating a bag of Doritos gives you a rush of dopamine. Seriously, that sweet tea that you're about to take a swig <laughs> of, that's giving you a all rush right, of dopamine. All right, I'll put it back down. <laughs> I'm going to still drink it when you leave. <laughs> But I listen, I listen, I am telling you like all the things that we're talking about, I, I engage in them. I struggle with them. Like I am far from like, I am not trying to judge anybody. I'm just telling you that like, I will say, I mean, I will call people out. I'll call myself out on that whole, I can't yeah. because, you know, patients will be like stuck. Like yeah. they're just, you know, sometimes we get stuck in this mode of, you know, I just can't. Do it. Yes, you can. Like yeah. you can do it. It's really how bad you want. Yes. And you want And to. you just have to remind yourself, just like I said, I know this probably sounds like therapy ish, but like you're worth it. Yeah. Right. You've got this one body. I know I'm worth it. And this it. is your vessel. And whenever you get 80 years old, if we make it that long, like you can't turn back oh, time. I don't know. And I don't know if I'll, I mean, I'll live as long as the Lord lets me. I don't know if I want to be that old, like old, old. You know, my grandparents didn't make it past. And I, uh, I hope I, I don't think I'm wrong in this, but I don't think they made it past 63. Really? Really. They uh, they all passed away with cancer, breast cancer, pancreatic and uh, lung and bone. Which that should be even more motivation for you. Hey, I've done good. I've cut down on like I don't really I don't really eat like that, like that anymore. Like I'm not a big I really don't like eating like even now, like. I don't eat after eight 
all, at all. Like That's at all. Good. I That's don't. Good. There's a lot of studies mm, about like the intermittent fasting. I could eat a whole sleeve of oversized Oreos. Oh, I love Oreos. And then wash it down with Mountain Dew and then pass out from a food <laughs> coma. And I used to live like that used to be my norm. That was fine with me. But, you know, but I also reap the consequences of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is this has been a really great conversation. Um, I I think that we just barely touched the trauma. We have so much to talk like about I feel like we that. just like, I just get off topic. That's no, my, and then I no, just get all fine. these little, how did we, what did we even talk about? Hopefully we have brought some knowledge to the community and, um, I definitely want to have some like guest speakers like we've talked about. Like yep. I have some people in mind. Um, I've asked a couple of them. Um, there's a couple of them that I'm going to ask, like, because there's a lot of people like their specialty is trauma, yeah. right? Like they're like way more knowledgeable than I am mm-hmm. on specific parts of trauma. And so I just think it would be like enlightening to have like different perspectives. Um, like I think it would be, pretty awesome to have like um if somebody wanted to share like any kind of like personal experience they had either Mm -hmm. you know with themselves or family members so i always think that it's really like having like just you know other points of view yeah and i like and i love the consensus of like bringing people in different fields together Mm -hmm. because you you can honestly say that there's the same goal there um i am going to set it up to when we do have a guest i do want to have call-ins and I'll, i'll set it up to where i will uh, set it up in a time frame where I can go ahead and give these people a call and let them ask you all the questions yeah, and let you answer. That would be good. I feel like that would be probably that would help to keep me on track too. Now you were on track. I, 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 I went on my food rant. I had, look, and, um, I had all these notes. We were going to talk about neuroscience and we did talk about the, we, we did that talk. We talked about enough that the, the, the little brief, part that we talked about is honestly like what I feel like is the most important to to understand like how it how your um your senses like travel from that bottom part to the top part and that's yeah. why people have those experiences like my dad had with fireworks basically. Yeah. Well the good thing about podcasts like these are limitless and like I know that I know trauma was one I know when we first talked about the podcast and I think one of the first things I said was like I really want to dive into the trauma part because it's so it's so general and broad that you can go on it with six episodes and then, and neither one of them are like not intriguing. Like they're very, very in tune. Like it's really about the mental health and how you can change from it. And if this can help people, it's always going to benefit them. Well, and I think just to like us kind of bring into light, like what trauma really is, you know, like we talked about, because some people, a lot of people have a misconception um, that trauma is only like this certain thing like it's only you know sexual abuse or rape or those kinds of things which are absolutely trauma but trauma is so much bigger and so much more complex and and the impact that it has on us and I would I don't even know what percentage of the people that I see in my office but I mean I would feel comfortable saying that 70 percent have experienced something that has been traumatic for them like an event in their life that's just going to always live with them until they're able to accept it and then understand it and then kind of move forward with it. And the best way they can with whatever treatment that I think y'all will give them um, to help them, to help them deal with it. I think that when I, when we talked last time and I'll say this before we end, I was telling everybody about it and they were listening to the podcast and people were talking about it. And I never told anybody about, well, people I grew up with knew I got bullied when I was in kindergarten up until I was in second grade. And, um, 
when I told them about that and I spoke about it and then we talked about it and they realized how antisocial it made me, how I didn't want to be around people, how I don't like to take pictures and how I don't like to do this and do this and do that. It all kind of made sense. And they almost felt like uh, sympathetic, but I didn't want sympathy. I just, it felt good for me to understand it because I don't think I've ever taught. I've never went to therapy. I've never talked to a professional. So when I spoke about it and you pinpointed it really to the core issue and I just and like I didn't want to say the answer was there but like I was always even now like I can think I can see his face in my like I can close my eyes and think of him and I know he's nowhere around and mm-hmm. you know I'm an adult now and I can handle it now but you know back then when you're you know a vulnerable kid and you're just constantly every day and you're scared to go to school and you're scared to go to the bathroom and you're scared to do this and then that you know, it, it does make, an, you know, it does hurt you in the long run because I'm a testament to me in my 30s where I don't like being around people and it's nothing against them. And they always used to try to guilt me into, oh, well, you should stay longer or you really should come. It should be fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm OK. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I didn't know how to explain that to them. How do you tell people our age who never went to therapy or seek help or even honestly probably would care? Hey, like, I don't know. Like, I think. You know, I just I think I have anxiety. You know, they they would my friends they love me, and they, if I was being honest, they would be very uh, understanding and they'd want to talk about it. But they'd first crack a joke about it. Mm-hmm. With anxiety, you know. Well, Come on, I mean, be a I'm man, really, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I think that you know I'm really glad that you shared that because again, it gets back to how our experiences mm. completely affect us as adults, like our experiences that we have as kids that you didn't even realize Mm-mm. like really kind of conditioned you to have this, you know, internal insecurity and fear because yeah. of that experience. And you have been dealing with that your whole life. And I think once you connect it, I'm not saying that it goes away, but once you connect it and you kind of have that aha and you like have an understanding, it definitely makes dealing with it better. Either. Yeah. Cause you think when you're in school, you're safe. And then, I mean, this guy was like, every day at school in front of everybody so it didn't matter i didn't feel safe there so what i would think a public place would be safe it's not safe so it's just that's one of those things that it was really an epiphany and i remember listening i listened to that podcast like three or four times just all the way through because it was really it was like someone was giving me great free advice and it was it was helpful in ways that i don't think my parents knew you know my friends knew and it gave them a great, you know, perspective about how I was feeling without me actually telling them. So, uh, yeah, I, I think if that could help me, I think it could help a lot of people. Yeah, I think and I think I was like, maybe I don't know if I read this or what, but it's along those lines. But basically, like, you know, if that happened to you as a kid and you you go home and tell your parents about it and your mom is like, oh, you know, you'll be fine or, oh, it, it wasn't that bad. Basically, you're like invalidating their reality Uh and so then we're like okay well what I thought you know how I felt about that wasn't real because she said it wasn't that bad and it it was fine yeah and again like that it confuses us yeah because we're like I feel this way but you know your parents are who you look up to and whatever they tell you is true yeah because you're learned to condition to listen right. to them so like even know? though I feel this way they're telling me that that's not true so basically like you start to feel a lot of like conflicted mm-hmm. things and like that, maybe how you really feel and what you trust yourself in the feeling it doesn't really exactly. matter at that point exactly you know? it doesn't matter because I've already been invalidated that 
my it's not that bad. My, yeah, my oh. reality is not really is not really true. Well, I look forward to the next episode. This was a great episode. I I think it's just so much more to come. I really want to touch on the uh, the brain part of trauma. I think I really want. I knew we were touched. We touched on it a little bit, but I really think people should really try to understand it. And I think a general breakdown of it. Well, and I mean, just like maybe it going a little bit more into like the different, um, like the the area for like memory, the fear, like you know, having, I don't want to spend a lot of time there because it's, it is kind of sciencey, but I do think having a general understanding, like it kind of helps us to have a foundation to build off of. And you have to kind of understand that stuff in order for us to build of like why you have like physical responses. Um, I want us to talk about like different types of attachment, um, which is just another kind of thing, thing with trauma. Um, so there's lots of things that we can talk about and then you know, maybe having a guest speaker and we'll talk about some different types of therapies for trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, There's various therapies and then we'll, you know, just kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know how many episodes we need to do before we're done with it. I'll say we'll just kind of see. Just kind of go with it until it's finished. I think that uh, I love how it can only be, we can break it up in parts because it's going to be one of those things that people are going to want to tune in. Cause if we make it in the chapters, it's going to be really good. Yeah. And I think, I think that'll be fine too. Yeah. yeah. Because it's just really hard. Like I think based on our format so far, it's hard to know how much we're going to cover. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, honestly, we could do a weekly podcast about trauma that lasted yeah. a year. Like yeah. it's that complex and you can get that specific into stuff, but I don't want to spend that long on it, but I, I think it's important for us to start here and then like build. Build and layers in it because I, one, one topic and I'll say this before we get off. I, I, I really want to talk about postpartum because my mom had it mm. and I really want to get into that when that happens. Yes. So, because and, I think and, she's, she'd really like to hear it because she had it for, it's bad. Yes. And that was, um you know, whenever I did the Facebook post, that was one of the topics that that people really seemed like they wanted to hear about. And it's, it's not talked about a lot. No, it's kind of the same thing. The way they kind of, uh, how men feel emasculated about how they feel. They kind of downplay how women go through that. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, you know, they call it the baby blues and stuff. And they try to, like, it's a down, it's a total downplay, but it's, it's really damaging if they can't get out of it, you know, because they become resentful. Don't you think about being pregnant and, all that mm-hmm. like that what what a terrible way to think especially when you're supposed to be enjoying what just happened yeah and i've taken care of some women um that have like been through like infertility treatments and things and then you know like they've been trying for years and then they finally are able to get pregnant and have the baby and i think like then they kind of you know i mean it's hard like having a, a baby like the the whole experience is hard and there's a lot of like hormonal changes and things and then i think that they feel a lot of guilt because like this is supposed to be the happiest time of my life why am i why am i feeling this way and it just kind of impacts things and i think just like bringing all that to light um will be very helpful well i i completely agree i think it's going to be a really good topic so we're going to wrap up tonight's podcast, um, just kind of very uh, briefly touching on trauma. We're going to get into that further um, as the weeks progress, uh, get in further talking about trauma and lots of other topics, and we hope that, that you guys tune in. Thank you.